Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, this is week 2 of our eight-part series, What We Value. And we are looking today at the biblical value of Christ-centered preaching. So stand in honor of God's word with me. Today we're going to see Christ-centered preaching is spirit-empowered proclamation. God's word read, explained, and applied is in the spirit's power is essential it is often ignored, but it is necessary food for our souls. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word Pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts, in our homes, in your church, by your spirit, through your word, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I said this last week, but we are on a journey to eternity together as believers. The Bible is our compass. The Holy Spirit is our guide, and the church is our family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we aim to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ-centered community that proclaims the gospel, makes disciples, and sacrificially serves Jesus. And what matters to us based on that, really what we should be observed doing based on our faith in Christ, are eight distinctive values. God-centered worship, Christ-centered preaching, God-dependent prayer, gospel-changed relationships, multi-generational ministry, Christ-honoring service, God-confident outreach, and humble, bold leadership. Last week, we were looking at Romans chapter 11, verse 36, to chapter 12, verse 2, where we saw a picture of conscious, consecrated, continual, God-centered worship, which is your will surrendered to God. That all who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, surrender their will to God. If you know Jesus, your will is surrendered to God. Where you seek to know and actively do the written word of God. And we talked about what a life of worship looks like, but let me give you some other examples as we continue to think about this and then flow into Christ-centered preaching. What does a life of worship look like? It's Mother's Day today, so it looks like a mom changing diapers and cleaning up vomit. It looks like a mom praying for her child's salvation, no matter how old that child is. It's a mom praising God for the ability to rejoice in the mundane tasks of life. A friend of ours posted something yesterday that I, I wished I had written. <laughs> so I just liked their post and 
pushed it on to my friends. But here's what they said. Love to those of you for whom Mother's Day is a difficult day. I wish I could make this day not hurt for you. What does a life of worship look like? It looks like a son or a daughter obeying their parents. It looks like a plumber or a lawyer or a teacher or a police officer or a firefighter serving with integrity and love for others. It looks like a student doing each assignment with thankfulness, seeking to honor Jesus Christ. It looks like an active desire to make God look great in every detail of life. And as we shall see today, it looks like a commitment to Christ-centered preaching. I want you to see, and we have a simple outline, why we value it, what are the barriers, and how can we grow. Why do we value Christ-centered preaching? I had a friend tell me once, a pastor, tell me once that if it wasn't expected, he wouldn't preach a sermon on Sunday morning. Is preaching an antiquated practice that has no bearing on the church today? Is it a negative to be avoided? Should I be giving pep talks and pithy suggestions and pop psychology lectures? The undermining and ignoring of biblical preaching in the American church today is a travesty. A lack of value put on Christ-centered, biblically accurate, theologically grounded, life-engaging preaching reduces many churches to mere social clubs. When preaching is biblically shaky and theologically slippery, churches become shallow and self-centered. There could be lots of activity. Very, very busy, but when God and the Bible are pushed to the margins, there won't be kingdom productivity. Without confidence in and commitment to the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, we are literally rudderless, just floating on a sea of confusion. Without biblical preaching, with the gospel proclamation, a church ceases to be a church. Preaching is essential to the very DNA of a local expression of Christ's body. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, To me, the work of preaching is the highest, greatest, most glorious calling to which anyone can be called. He said, I'd say without any hesitation, the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And now here we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And Paul is showing us the importance and the uniqueness of Christ-centered preaching. Our outline is very simple through this passage. First, he gives us the problem of man-centered preaching in verse 1. Secondly, the preeminence of Christ in preaching, verse 2. Third, the power of God in preaching, verses 3 through 5. And then fourth, really all five verses, the overall priority of Christ-centered preaching. First, he points out the problem of man-centered preaching. Verse 1. Look at verse 1. He says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech. That's eloquence. Or wisdom. That's worldly cleverness. Now, Corinth was a hotbed of popular speakers with large followings. People were flocking to hear man-made wisdom, man-centered wisdom. 
the latest style in Asia Minor out of the cesspool of Athens with this idolatrous worship of idols, both living and dead. They applauded human wisdom, ears itching for superiority of speech, and many delivered on their desire. Greek orators would go to school for long periods of time uh, to learn their techniques, and they would rest on those techniques and their vocal inflections and flowery persuasive speech, and they were manipulating words and twisting minds. Things haven't changed. The goal of many sermons today is to make you feel better about yourself. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, they will not endure sound teaching. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Turn away from listening to the truth. Wander off into myths. Well, the perfect sermon for you might be one that makes you feel worse about yourself. You ever thought about that? For repentance, for faith, for growth, for maturity? What is a preacher supposed to do? A preacher stands between God and man and is supposed to let the word of God flow through him as uncontaminated as possible. And here you have faulty, frail, sinful Jars of clay that stand up to preach. But my job is not to coddle and entertain you. My job is to communicate and explain the word of God. The church does not need crowd pleasers, but preachers who fill people's hearts with the word of God. Not clown performers, consecrated proclaimers. Who will not cave to the culture, but actually cling to the scriptures. There's a danger in trying to make the gospel unoffensive. The gospel will always sound foolish to natural men. And the moment you start trying to make it palatable, you've caved. You stand on the truth with gentleness and respect. Now, how to tell if you're hearing man-centered preaching? In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, he was giving a farewell address to them, and he said, look, from among your own selves, he's warning them, he says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the believers after them. So the warning is, don't listen to anyone who draws you to themselves more than point you to Christ. The warning is, if you're a Bible teacher, don't ever do that. The warning is that anyone that promotes their own name is robbing God and turning people away from Christ to men. Human-centered wisdom is a fast track to hell. It breeds preachers more concerned for themselves than the battle for people's souls. Delighting the masses with delectable-looking deception rather than destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Martin Luther said, a preacher must be both soldier and shepherd. He must nourish, defend, and teach. He must have teeth in his mouth and be able to bite and fight. Abraham Lincoln said, when I hear a man preach, I like to see him act as if he were fighting bees. It's a spiritual battle for the souls of people 
So, and all who preach must understand that. So the first thing Paul's giving us here is the problem. The problem of man-centered preaching. Now go on to verse 2. Now we see the preeminence of Christ in preaching. Look at verse 2. He said, I decided, it's a conscious decision on his part, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was a learned man. Was his IQ only Jesus and him crucified? He knew many, many things. What he's saying is, I am going to preach Jesus Christ crucified. Verse 1, he said, I brought to you the testimony of God. The testimony of God is the message of Christ and him crucified. It's what God has revealed. It's what he has given the church to preach. And at its heart is the cross. Christ's death for sinners is the focal point. Here's Paul who could say to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I explained to you the whole counsel of God. He could say in Acts 18 that he taught the word of God to the Corinthians. And his preaching focused on Christ, who paid the penalty for sin on the cross. Christ crucified. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you. I'm giving you a very serious charge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. God sees this. And of Christ Jesus, God the Son, who is to judge the living and the dead. Like, Timothy, you are on notice if you don't follow this. By his appearing, by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That was his call. Go down to verse 8. Outside the passage I'm preaching today, but I want you to go down to verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 2. Because I want you to notice how Jesus is described. Verse 8, right after saying that God decreed before the ages for our glory the truth that he had imparted. He said, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Describes Jesus as the Lord of glory. The preeminent Lord of glory. The only other time this phrase is even in the Bible is James 2, verse 1. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He reigns now in glory. He perfectly reflected the Father's glory. Go over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verse 3, tells us of this glory. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is preeminent. Go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15. You see the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be 
preeminent, first place, or first importance. True preaching proclaims Christ as the sinner's only hope. Charles Spurgeon in 1876 said this, The motto of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. This is before gluten-free. <laughs> a sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread with no substance. He says, no Christ in your sermon, sir. Go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Jesus is over everything. So he must be preeminent in our preaching. You got the, the problem of man-centered preaching. You got the preeminence of Christ in preaching. And then look at verses 3 through 5. The power of God in preaching. He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. Paul felt insufficient for the task. Every preacher should. He says in verse 4, My speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, this is an altogether different kind of communication. It's free of human eloquence, wisdom, or persuasiveness. The phrase, in demonstration of the spirit and of power, is speaking of two things. The demonstration of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does via the word of God, via the gospel. It's demonstrating this, the Spirit of God at work in the lives of believers and at work unleashing the power of God unto salvation via the Word of God. In regenerating people, in enlightening people, in convicting people of their sins, in bringing people to faith in Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul says, so that your faith might rest in the power of God. So Paul's weakness was a platform on which God demonstrated his power. He said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul is faithfully declaring the gospel. The Holy Spirit is opening people's hearts through the gospel. The faith is anchored in God alone, not his feeble messengers. The world says the message of the gospel is nothing. We say it's everything. The powerful hope of the gospel is, is that salvation is possible only through faith in the finished work of Christ at the cross. Just move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's a complete transformation required to bring you out of the ruin of sin. And you become aware, because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you, you become aware that you've offended God. And that you're sinful and that you're separated from God. And you look in the revealing mirror of the word of God and you are convinced, you're convicted of your sin, you're broken over your sin, and you freely confess your sins, your guilt and your shame before God. And you receive free forgiveness from Jesus. 
You experience lasting, lasting life change because a true knowledge of God will lead to a truly changed life. The power of God at work in Christ-centered preaching. So you've got the problem of man-centered preaching. You've got the preeminence of Christ in preaching. And then you've got the power of God in preaching. And, and really, overall, it's the priority of Christ-centered preaching. Really, in all these verses. Several things I'll point out about that. First, it fulfills God's intent. Christ-centered preaching fulfills God's intent. Paul is doing what he's called to do. Jesus said preaching is not optional. Mark 1.38, Jesus said, that's why I've come. Preach. Now, some people naively say, well, Jesus just told stories. How come you're not up here just telling stories every week? They, they haven't read the Bible, I guess. According to Mike Abendroth in his book, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Preachers, and he proves his point very simply with Scripture, Jesus viewed preaching as preeminent. He preached with a high view of Scripture. He preached Christ crucified. Christ preached Christ crucified. He preached doctrine. He preached as a herald. He preached discipleship. He preached for a verdict. Jesus was an expository preacher. You move on to Paul. Paul did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. He charged Timothy. He said, you preach the word. This is God's method of saving sinners and maturing believers. Romans 10 tells us, how will they hear without someone preaching? 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, in the wisdom of God, it pleases God through the folly, through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. So it fulfills the intent of God. Another thing, it focuses your mind on Christ. Christ-centered preaching focuses you on Christ. Where your mind should be focused. If I'm preaching, by the way, and I'm preaching, in, let's say, an Old Testament passage, like recently I preached through Habakkuk. Jesus Christ might not be the main point of the text I'm preaching, but I'm going to bring you to Jesus. Uh, it's going to point to him. Jesus said, the scriptures testify of me. In Luke chapter 24, right after the resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus, and he meets these two disciples, and it says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ-centered preaching fixes you on Christ and his supremacy. It fulfills God's purposes and intent. It focuses your mind on Christ, and it, it fosters a love for the word of God. Again, we're going to go a bit outside the passage here, but in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, I want you to see that. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. It's a mystery he's talking about. A mystery. And it's not something that's so mysterious you could never figure it out. It's something that God has revealed to us. It's truth that God knew before time that he kept secret until he chose to reveal it. And then move on to verse 9. It's a quote of, of a loose quote of Isaiah 64.4. As it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined 
what God has prepared for those who love him. And many of you are thinking now of heaven. Heaven's such a wonderful place, all the things that God prepared. That's not what that verse is talking about. A lot of people think it refers to heaven. It doesn't. It refers to the wisdom that God has provided for believers in his word. Right here in the context. It's very clear that God has given us his word. And, and we hadn't seen it or heard it. We had never imagined it. But God prepared it for us. And so you go on, verses 10 through 16, and what you see is that saving wisdom is revealed by God via revelation and inspiration and illumination. And verses 10 and 11 talk about revelation. Verses 12 through 13, inspiration. And that was to those who wrote the Bible. The revelation and the inspiration going to those who wrote the Bible. Where we come in, verses 14 to 16, the illumination to believers who want to understand God's word, and the Holy Spirit is doing the work to help you understand. The only way that you can understand the Bible is by the Holy Spirit regenerating you and giving you illumination. If you love God, you're going to love his word. You can't say, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I can do without his word. Jesus is the living word. We have the written word. They are in complete agreement. Jesus honored it. You cannot love God and not love the word. If you love God, you're going to desire the word. You're going to hunger for the word. You know, people right now are doing, this very moment, are doing all sorts of things they love. And you're here. Because you love Jesus and you love the word of God. Fosters a love for the word of God. And another thing, it, it, it fixes your trust on God, not man. Paul said that your faith would rest in, in the power of God, not the wisdom of man. As a preacher, when I listen to preaching, I don't want to hear a preacher talking about his dog or telling all these sorts of stories. I don't want a preacher to wow me or to impress me. I want a man to simply stand and declare what God has said. I want him to read it and explain it and apply the word of God. If you look at chapter 1, verse 22 here in 1 Corinthians, You'll notice it says that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And, and demanding the sign and seeking the wisdom means I'm refusing to trust God and what he has said. Our authority is the word of God. His complete and special revelation, the Bible. And when we speak the Bible, we speak on behalf of Christ. John Piper said it this way. That I must show you what I am saying was already said or implied in the Bible. So as you turn the pages of your Bibles or you flick your hand through your electronic device that has your Bible on it, you want to know that what I am saying it has, has been said already or implied in the Bible. So that your faith will be rooted in the power of God because when all is said and done, at the end of the day, it is not the preacher's speaking ability or gifts, but persuasive ability. Christ-centered preaching is spirit-empowered proclamation. And as with any great thing, barriers will be there. There are barriers to this kind of preaching and to us receiving and applying the word. Quickly, a lack of discernment is a barrier. Many persuasive false teachers out there and a lot of professing believers are, are liking what they have to say. 
and little Bible knowledge, too little time spent in the Word to even know what the Word says so that they don't get caught by a per persuasive false teacher. A lack of discernment, little Bible knowledge, and love of sin and self. That's a barrier to Christ-centered preaching. Too friendly with the world. John Owen wrote, they spend their time and money chasing after perishing things when something solid and everlasting is set before them. Some spend their time planning how to make provision for the flesh to satisfy its lusts. Some continually worry about the things of this world, seeking promotion and rewards for all they do. Do they realize who it is they despise? Who they are rejecting and for what? There are barriers. But by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, we can grow in this value. How do we grow in this value? I'll, I'll, I'll mention several points that are based on what I've already said. If you want to grow in the value of Christ-centered preaching, number one, then fulfill God's intent by honoring preaching. We believe that preaching that exalts Christ seeks to understand and explain the original intent of each passage and will apply scripture to everyday life. That's expositional preaching. The word of God read, explained, and applied. So the main point of the sermon is the main point of the Bible passage that's being preached. In his book, What is a Healthy Church Member? Thabiti Anyabwile says this, healthy church members are expositional listeners. They have their ears on. He says, expositional listening is listening for the meaning of a passage of scripture and accepting that meaning as the main idea to be grasped for our personal and corporate lives as Christians. You grow healthy as you give yourself to hearing this message as a regular discipline. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. There was a young man once that went to hear D.L. Moody uh, preach in New York, in Brooklyn. And he didn't like what he heard. Moody was preaching the gospel, preaching the way of salvation, and he came back basically to this boarding house criticizing and scoffing Moody. And at the table, at, at the meal that was happening there, he was asked to explain the sermon. And, and so he starts recounting the sermon and explaining the points, and there was a young lady listening. And she was convicted of her sins as she heard the word of God, and she understood the gospel, and she gave her life to Christ. Because she had ears to hear and honor the preaching, even if it was preached to a donkey. Another thing, if you want to grow in this value of Christ-centered preaching, then focus your mind on Jesus during sermons. And your attention span may be a little shaky like mine, so I'm going to give you some tips if you struggle in sermons. You might want to take notes. Number one, pray for the preacher during the week and while the sermon's going on. Pray for the preacher during the week and during the sermon. Number two, pray for your own heart during the week and during the sermon. Number three, read the passage beforehand. Read it. Get into it. See where, where it's going. Number four, prepare for Sunday on Saturday. Lay your clothes out. Put your socks together and what have you. 
Number five, plan ahead to get here early. What if everyone got here five to ten minutes early, hungry and ready to sing God's praises and hear God's word? Like IHOP. Come hungry, leave happy. <laughs> Talk about the sermon afterwards. Have a friend ask you, call you, text you, email you, how are you applying the sermon? Someone has said that the test of a preacher is his congregation goes away saying, not what a lovely sermon, but I will do something. Another way you can grow in, in this value of Christ-centered preaching, foster a love for God's word at home, church, and elsewhere. We value regular preaching of God's word in our worship gatherings, small groups, and homes for the purpose of equipping, encouraging, and exhorting believers and evangelizing non-believers. Christ-centered preaching stirs up your emotions to respond rightly to the truth. Preaching is standard equipment for spiritual maturity. In the second century, Justin Martyr was explaining the practices of Christians to pagans. And he said, on, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. So they were having public reading of scripture. When the reader has ceased, the leader verbally instructs, exhorts to the imitation of these good things. They read the word of God, they explained the word of God, they applied the word of God. Scripture must be central to our homes, worship services, and elsewhere. Think of it this way, that God's vocabulary will be governing your life rather than the world's faulty reasoning. The Bible is the living word of God, given to equip us in everything pertaining to life and godliness. It is the inspired, infallible, inerrant means by which God speaks to us. So we should read it, we should sing it, we should preach it. It is through the, the scriptures that God blesses that he convicts, that he draws people to himself. There was a preacher named Lyman Beecher who was filling in for a country preacher once, and he went to preach out in the country in a midwinter snowstorm. You have piles of snow everywhere, and only one person showed up for the service. And so he's thinking to himself, do I still do this for this one person? And so he got up and he led songs, he prayed, he read scripture, he preached, and at the very end, he bows his head to pray, he prays, and when he opens his eyes, the person is gone. <laughs> 20 years later in Ohio, a man comes up to him and says, you probably don't remember me, but we once spent two hours together in a church alone in a storm. Do you remember preaching 20 years ago to one person? I am that man, sir. That sermon saved my soul, made a minister of me. Yonder is my church. The converts of that sermon are all over Ohio. If you love the word of God, you're going to preach it no matter who's there. To your kids at home, to whoever you meet on the street, 
You're going to want to come here preaching of the word in church. If you love God, you'll love his word. It's why you're here. You love Jesus Christ, you'll love the word of God. And one last idea of how you can grow in this value. Fix your moment-by-moment trust on God and not man. Christ-centered preaching leads you to trust God. Your faith rests on the power of God, which causes you to resist the pull of pride and the magnetism of personality. Philip Brooks said, preaching is truth through personality. But it is not personality towering over the world. We seek to handle God's word accurately, engage in spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel to all ages in various settings. And what you'll find when you open up the word to all ages in various settings, sometimes there is immediate change, like right away, immediately. I think of Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands up and boldly, authoritatively preaches the word of God. And the result is they were pierced to the heart. The Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin. But most of the time, the word of God functions as your daily bread. You read it, you hear it, you study it, you, you, you hear it proclaimed faithfully and accurately, and what happens is it's a relentless, consistent avalanche of truth over time that brings change in your life. So you need to learn to feed yourselves and others the word of God, not just taking it in, but giving it out. Do you remember every meal you've ever eaten? Absolutely not. Do you remember some memorable meals? Of course you do. Do you have favorite foods? Sure. Well, think of reading the Bible and hearing it explained and applied as eating spiritual food that you need on an ongoing basis to be healthy and thriving as a believer. It's what I would call the cumulative aggregate power of the word of God. The truth is driven home little by little, line by line, verse by verse, day by day, and it has a radical effect over time. Think of it this way. If you're married and you love your spouse, you don't just say, I love you on your anniversary once a year. It's Mother's Day. You don't just say to your mom if she's living, and and you don't just say, I love you once a year on Mother's Day. No, you want to show it and, and say it on a daily basis. And last week, I talked about God-centered worship. This is an interesting thing. God-centered worship means your will surrendered. And, and because your will surrendered, you're going to love Christ-centered preaching. You're going to yearn for spirit-empowered proclamation, and you're going to resolve more fully to surrender your will to God in God-centered worship. Because Christ-centered preaching is spirit-empowered proclamation, where the word of God is used by the Spirit of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. God's word read, explained, and applied in the Spirit's power is necessary food for your soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit, through your word, you change our hearts and our lives and our homes. 
and your church. Thank you that you're calling unbelievers to yourself, drawing them by your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us in, in giving us your word. Use it in our lives for your glory.